Well, hey, everybody, this is your co-host of the Dream Big Podcast with Bob Goff and friend Scott Schimmel, and I'm here with my friend Bob Goff. Hello, everyone. I'm so glad we're together again today. I love uh, these podcasts, and in particular, to be able to introduce you to my friend Darla. Yeah, she is the epitome of someone who does not wait for permission to get invited somewhere when she has her sights set on a big ambition of hers. Yeah, she just assumes that she's invited, and I think if you're listening and you have ears, you are too. Yep. Uh, you're not invited everywhere, but you're not uninvited as many places as you've kind of actually uninvited yourself to because you're looking for validation or a bunch of strangers to say it's okay or likes or whatever. Just assume that God has put you here. You've got these mm. beautiful ambitions and go after them. And what you're going to hear from Darla is a couple like no's that she just didn't settle for. She's like yeah. going to take no for an answer. Yeah. And some people I think are wired that way. They just don't have that chip of worried about what other people think. But for many of us, it takes just a lot of courage to take action on our yeah, big dreams. And there's appropriate boundaries to that. I mean, if you don't take no for an answer enough, you'll actually get a restraining order <laughs> in some context. But what if you say, I'm going to actually not let the circumstances dictate what my passions are, but to say, I know what my passions are. They're beautiful ambitions. If faith is your thing, then you'd say, I know why I'm doing mm -hmm. what I'm doing. And then when somebody says, no, you don't see that as an impediment. It's just the next thing to overcome. Mm -hmm. And nobody does that as good as Darla. I, we have been uh, friends since college days. Hmm. And I'm just always astounded, even today, with the things that she's done with her life. And they've all happened, if you can relate to this as you're listening, they've all happened on the backside of a no. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I this is one of the conversations that you've had with a friend that I was just was enraptured by. I think her story is fascinating. So we are excited for you to get to know Darla Anderson. <sighs> Hey, everybody. I'm with my friend Darla Anderson today, and you have got to meet Darla. Hi, Darla. Hi. Hey, we uh, have quite a fun history together that has spanned literally decades, and you are one of my all-time favorite people. You're uh, just uh, authentic and true and candid and uh, have done some beautiful things with your life. Uh, we met back in college days, wasn't it? I'm kind of reaching back to when was it? Yeah, it was, I think it might have been either a senior year of college. I think it was. Yeah. And then we all lived down at the beach in San Diego and we were trying to figure out life and all that. And then uh, I married uh, sweet Maria Goff, who was among this uh, gathering. There was these all these amazing women on one side of the alley and all these homely looking guys on the other side of the alley. And each of us married each of them. And then you moved up to the Bay Area from San Diego and got a job at a little startup company. What was the name of that company? <laughs> uh, it was called Pixar. At the Go time. figure. <laughs> Pixar. <laughs> yes. Well, well not a lot of people have that. And uh, I don't think you just uh, were answering phones. I think you moved on to do some other stuff. So for the people that don't know you, what was your job at Pixar? And we're going to be talking about taking actions on your ambitions. And you had an ambition to uh, do some work with movies. Can you tell us about it? Well, yeah, I um, I wanted to make art my whole life, and I wanted to make art that would change the world. That was my felt like that was my calling, which uh, people <laughs> didn't really understand in in the in the 80s, the early 80s, when it was all about majoring in business and becoming a yuppie, which 
kids today probably don't even know what a yuppie is, yes. but <laughs> um, and people would ask me uh, what I wanted to do, and I would say, um, I want to make art that will change the world. Yeah, yeah, whatever that meant uh, to me. But so yeah, go ahead. And so where did you, so you landed at Pixar. Now, was that easy to land or was that difficult? Because the, some the thing about ambitions, everybody's got one, but it's taking action. Like um, uh, they'll send a, you know, a resume to somebody and somebody says no. And uh, oftentimes I hear people say, well, God closed the door. I'm like, oh, baloney. <laughs> Billy said no. <laughs> That's the only thing that happened. No, yeah, you probably I don't you probably don't remember the story, but I actually got what we call a thanks but no thanks letter uh, at TBNT. And um, <laughs> <laughs> they just didn't think you had any talent for it. Yeah, they um, I had sent a reel in on my Betamax. <laughs> you know, Come on. <laughs> of the things I had done in San Diego, which were just a few commercials and um and they sent me back a thanks, but no thanks letter. Like, I'm sorry, but no. And, but then I thought, oh, this is a clerical error. This is just a clerical error because, because, because I would call them about every six months and they would take my call. Oh, I love that. Tenacious. That's one of, for people that have an ambition, instead of saying like, you know, you got a thanks, but no thanks letter. Uh, they'd say like, well, God's closed the door. I'm like, no, this is the beginning. I remember writing to the Pope and I asked like, can we meet? And, uh, and, uh, one of his like head guys wrote back and said, you know, absolutely not. I didn't think God closed the door. I thought I've got the right address. <laughs> So you kept calling back. They kept taking your calls. And how did it happen that you got on board? Well, I really I wanted to move from San Diego to be a part of um, computer animation's first ever full length film, which everybody said was impossible. So I packed up my car and I drove up to, to San Francisco. And um, but then it took me a solid two years to get into Pixar and everybody. Yeah, two years. And everybody uh, would say, uh, you might want to put out some other resume. <laughs> <laughs> Were you sitting at the front gate, you know, eating sandwiches saying, let me in? No, <laughs> no. Like for me, the strategy was to not appear desperate. Yeah. Act, act not too desperate. So I would call probably every, in my mind, it was about every four to six months or something. Yeah. I remember at one point, I, the, the producer who ended up being the producer of Toy Story, I wanted to take him out to lunch, you know, as part of, you know, to get to know me. And I had no money. I had no money. So I had to empty out my quarters jar, no. <laughs> put it together. And that added up to about $12. Yeah. So, and so I, I was like, I hope whatever we, what sandwich we ordered doesn't come because <laughs> I should take him out to lunch because I'm trying to get the job. And, uh, but it came to exactly that amount. We, we went out to this little place called um, the Hidden Hidden City, Hidden City, which is also referenced in Monsters Incorporated, a tiny cafe near Pixar. And um, I took uh, Ralph Guggenheim out to lunch, and thank goodness it didn't add up to more than ten bucks. Ah, uh, that's like such a great, uh, you know. It's always those little steps along the way that are the memorable ones. So you yeah. ended up getting the job at Pixar, and what was your first movie you worked on? 
Well, I got the job and then they said, well, you don't get to work on Toy Story. And I'm like, wait, I just spent two years of my life <laughs> <laughs> waiting to work. At the, and by the way, I thought I was going to be somebody famous by the time I was 25 because I had been on my own, you know, for so long. I thought my 25 was like anybody else's 40. Yeah. Can you actually loop back to that for a moment? Because I think a lot of people hear stories of, you know, achievement and all that and think that you were just born into a bed of tulips and then it just went awesome. You had amazing parents who were rooting for you the whole way. Can you just give a, you know, a, a short arc of the, some of the background that you came from when you, that got you to college, that got you to Pixar? Yeah. The very, very top level story is that, um, when I was 13, my mom died in a car accident and then and I didn't really know my dad. And through a series of events, um, I ended up on my own by the time I was about 14. So I slept on people's couches and I did uh, that kind of thing. Um, and, and, but I always knew I would go to college. So then I went to Glendale Community College and then I went to San Diego State. So that's the- Where, where we met at that impressive institution of higher learning. That's right. Yeah. So now you're at Pixar, you, you get in the door, you've got a, uh, employee ID. And then the one thing that you thought you were there to do, they said, you're not going to do that. What was your job? So I became the executive was producer. Then I promoted myself to be executive producer of what was called the shorts group. And we produced commercials. And ironically, then Pixar didn't want to have all its eggs in Disney's basket. So they were like, well, it'd be great to have this side um, division going so that we can have a different revenue stream. Yeah. So I hired a ton of people. Um, I was on my own, you know, I was just on my own there because nobody really, everybody was just really putting all their energy into getting Toy Story out the door. And, <laughs> and did you just print your own cards? You said, I am the executive producer of this. I mean, I had to ask them, you know, but, but I said, basically I'm doing the job, right guys? And One of the things that I've noticed about you, Darla, over decades is that you don't tend to ask for a ton of permission to go live your life. You have these dreams and ambitions and you're not waiting to build consensus among everybody that you see them. What is it inside of you that causes you to do that? How do you find that gear? Well, I think for me, I always kind of had that. I was always a free spirit. I always wanted a big adventure in life. And then when my mom died, like the worst thing happened yeah. that could ever happen. And so then in the, you know, it's super tragic, for, of course, I miss her still every day. But at the same time, it even reinforced the idea that there are no rules and you may as well go for it. You may as well go for whatever it is and have this. And, and also when somebody, and she was only 31. So when somebody dies, when you're young and they're young, you, it, it's a big memo on living a big, living your life, living a big adventurous life. So you get that. I got that memo at a young age and there is tragedy, but there's a lot of gifts in it too. Somehow you found the ability to take these circumstances that weren't ideal to have a, a strange dad, really a stranger to you, a mom that's gone, and to, you didn't get stuck by that. You thought, uh, certainly because you're a very intuitive person, you, you have the ability to feel things deeply, um, but you were able to access your joy and not let that strap you, but to actually 
embolden you to say, actually, I'm not going to wait for permission to do this thing. And you didn't camp out in the, all the things that may have derailed some other people. How do other people find that? How do I mean, I think that um, we all have that. In, I mean, we for sure all have a purpose. That's why we're here. Um, we wouldn't be here if we didn't. And so I think you have to be very, get very quiet. I remember one day, get quiet with yourself and really listen, really listen to um, whatever that voice inside of you is that's calling you to a different path or passion or whatever it is. I remember one day I was walking on the beach in La Jolla back then, back when we were friends. And I wasn't hanging out with anybody and everybody was out doing things. And I thought, gosh, I was having what was now, what we now call FOMO. Yeah, <laughs> it was before. <laughs> yeah. And then the voice that was deep inside of me said, because I thought everybody was off to parties and I didn't really want to be at a party, but the voice deep inside me said, um, you are the party, like wherever you are. Oh, well said. Are, um, wherever you are, you can, we can celebrate your life. And it, it was this deep seated contentedness, but it was a two mile walk on the beach and lots of circumstances to, to listen to that voice. Man, I am going to make a hoodie that says you are the party. <laughs> I'll never have to work another day. <laughs> well, so then you got the, uh, you got the word that um, you're going to uh, move from shorts to a little bit longer version. How did that transition happen? Well, um, I, uh, so we, I was doing commercials, Toy Story comes out, yay, big success, first time, first ever, revolutionary, it was very, very, very exciting, and then, um, then the second uh, ever animated feature was starting to get going, it actually started going before Toy Story was done, they were starting to write it and everything, and they started bringing in other producers, to, you know, they were interviewing other people uh, to produce it, and in my heart, there's no way I felt like I was ready or um, in my heart and my head, there's no way I was ready to produce a, a feature film um, in any way, shape or form. But then I was like, oh, well, a lot of the people they were interviewing were peers of mine, kind of like that's yeah. how I felt. And so I thought they're amazing. Um, but and I have even more experience than they do because I've been running this little division um, right. on my own. So I wrote an email to Steve Jobs because he owned Pixar then called Deep Thoughts by Darla Anderson. <laughs> nice. How long was it? Is this a couple of paragraphs or a couple of pages? A couple paragraphs or? saying you should consider me um, yeah. for, for, the, for the feature. And then, and then if you want me to keep going. Oh, yeah, totally. Go, and then girl. He, he said, well, what do you know? And, you know, how? And I said, well what does anybody know? There's only ever been one computer animated feature film. So, and by that time I was probably about 34, I'd say. Um, and so he said, um, all right, well, write me a business plan, write me a business plan on, um, what it would entail to, cause these, these feature films are tentpole films. They're huge budget, lots of promotional partners, lots of consumer products, lots of, um, park activity so there's a it's like running a a little and not by little i mean a large business yeah if you for instance like to scales uh, anybody ever quantified how much is involved in a big feature film with all the ancillary things yeah 
it's big. It's and it's a it's a worldwide phenomenon. You know all that. So, um, so at any rate, uh, so I, uh, so he, I had to write up a business plan, which I did, and then I, um, I. Uh, and he went through it with me and I enlisted some of my friends to help me write it. So yeah, <laughs> down, perfect. At, down at the coffee shop, writing up a business plan and it was pretty good. It was really accurate. Um, and then, uh, and then he, uh, he let me come on as, but he didn't give me the role of producer. Like I kept getting, it was incremental. I got the job as associate producer. Yes. So he didn't let me, yeah, he didn't even let me be, or the, the, it wasn't just Steve. It was like, they, they assigned me associate producer and they said, we're going to keep interviewing for producer. And then, um, well, Disney actually, Disney said that they suggested they hire me on as associate producer. And then uh, this is what would happen. Yeah. Steve and Lawrence Levy, our CFO came back to me and they said, um, they said, um, Darla, we feel terrible because we, told you that you would be the producer of A Bug's Life. And, um, but Disney feels like you're not quite experienced and why don't you take the role as associate producer for a while? And I said, sure, okay. And they said, okay. And I said, are you really okay with it? And I said, yeah, well, A, they're right. I don't have experience. B, uh, I don't have any leverage right now. I've only ever produced 30 seconds over it. And yeah. uh, I'm fine with that. Man, I love your humble spirit because you could have just said, well, no way and, you know, knock something off the table. But I love that you've always had that servant kind of attitude just available. And I think that's super important for particularly um, a generation of people that want it to happen immediately um, to hear that in fast forward, it sounds like it happens like boom, 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 boom. Uh, but actually the reality is some disappointments and some turns instead of like copping an attitude, you just said, well, like, well, let me serve. So what, how, how the transition then from associate producer to the person that actually produced a bug's life? Well, I, so I was doing it and then I was the only person there. Um, so they never really, they were interviewing for producer, but they never really found one. So <laughs> one day awesome. I said, so it's me, right? You know, like, you know, I mean, can I print like new business cards? <laughs> <laughs> I love you just assume again, it's a, like assuming that you're invited, just as, assuming that they're going to take you eventually onto Pixar, even though you didn't get the first job you wanted, you took another one, have a humble heart, but clear on what you want to get done and then uh, take these things. And then it just assume I should be the producer of probably one of the biggest films at, in its time, wasn't it? Yeah, for sure. And and I going back to the when I took the commercial uh, executive producer job. What was great about that? The door closed on Toy Story, but so I said yes to the commercial. I went actually home for a day to think about it, like whether I should really do that because it wasn't my goal. So I thought about it, and I thought, you know, it's still a great opportunity. I just wanted to be part of really good art, and all the I had to hire a whole new team. I was unsure but if i had if i had gotten the what i wanted if i had gotten what i wanted which was a coordinator or a manager on toy story they would never have seen me as somebody able to lead a whole film because in the commercial group i was running my own division on my own so that door that closed actually is the thing that leapfrogged me over about 10 years worth of experience 
So. Beautiful. Boy, man, I want to underline that in my mind when there's a, oh, it seems like a setback, <clears throat> to be patient, to see this actually might yeah. surprise me. So you did another movie after A Bug's Life. Which one was that? That was uh, Monsters Incorporated. I've heard of it. <laughs> Does that happen when you finish one and A Bug's Life? And didn't you uh, win all the important awards and like... Yeah, I think, I think so. I well, that was a that was a big year. Uh, it was uh, we didn't win in every award with Monsters, but it was one of my favorite ever films because it came out six weeks after nine eleven, and oh, the thing wow. with that film is a big is the first big thing that happened, you know, in a big social way. The, nobody had been in the shopping malls. Nobody had been going out anywhere really after nine eleven, and that film with its message of um, that laughter and positive energy yes. can overcome darkness. Um, so nobody knew how it was going to do. I just, but I just loved the idea that Boy, that the is the thing that came out. And that goes back to, yeah. I want to do art that will change the world. Yes. And none of these things seem like they're something that will change the world. And yet here we are six weeks after 9-11 with a very imaginative, beautiful film that carries the message of love and positive energy um, and laughter will overcome. So yeah. that was very rewarding. You uh, uh, finished that movie and then, <laughs> is there any breaks in between these? Do you get to like go and sit on a beach somewhere or is it just, are you spinning up the next one when you finished uh, A Bug's Life? Is it Monsters Inc's already flying or is there a downtime in between? Between A Bug's Life and Monsters, Inc., there wasn't downtime. I took just two weeks off, which was not advisable, except that I was young. Um, and uh, between Monsters, then I took a break after Monsters, Inc. for about six weeks, I'd say. Yeah. And then I jumped on to Cars, I think. <laughs> I've heard of that one, too. Yeah, Tell me about that. that. So, so well, was that cars, yeah. now you had two big movies under your belt. Was that a natural one to get tapped for cars or does that take under this idea of taking action? Did you have to say, Hey, listen, I'd really like to do that one. Or were there other things that were, uh, getting your attention at the time? Um, you know, at that point in time, I was really open to whatever the company needed me to do. And, um, and we were in the middle of, during that cars time, it was an interesting time of, were we gonna be bought or sold to Disney or how is that gonna work out? And so that, that film, um, one of the reasons they wanted me on that film is because I don't really care about cars <laughs> as, <laughs> as a passion. And I kept saying, but I don't really care about cars, you know? And they said, but that's why we want you on the film is because, so they wanted me on the film because they wanted it to appeal to everybody and they wanted that strong voice in the room that said, yeah, but I don't care. I'm not a car geek. I do. I like cars. I don't dislike cars, but I don't wake up thinking. That's not your thing. Yeah. You, I remember you were so kind. You invited all the like small goths uh, up when cars was being like, I think you were still in the process of finishing that one and you had a little reel and you brought us into a screening room and then you took us back to where 
all of the different animation is done and each person has their own pod and they get to create it in any way they want. Can you just tell me for a moment about that? And there was one secret one that it seemed like we went inside some secret room somebody had. Yeah, yeah that, um, I think that was a love lounge if you crawled down there. There's That's a few it. of them back there. Um, yeah, the, uh, well, back in the old building, um, the first building before we moved into the fancy one, that now is, we've been there 20 years. Um, but uh, in the old building, the animators were housed. We had, there, was, there was not a lot of money floating around. And the animators were all housed in kind of this giant warehousey parking lotty loading dock area. So they just hodgepodge this, what we call the ghetto, the Adam ghetto. <laughs> they hodgepodge this whole thing together. And it was so imaginative. They all built it themselves. Oh, it was so beautiful. Like somebody had a, you know, a, a gas station somebody else had like kind of a tiki motif going something out of the caribbean and did one person have a volcano am i like remembering that wrong yeah i mean well here's what so then that was the old building the new building they just carried that spirit on and, and they all do it themselves now you have to go back there um now it's crazy it's like the one double pod is as if a old you this is one you would really love an old time plane they, they all have narratives uh an old timey plane crashed into the jungle and so they have you know spiders it, it, the inside of it's like an old time plane world war one or two ish kind of plane yeah all painted like that they have like a little uh 16 millimeter reel going and fog machines coming in with like it's smoke just happening no. they're very there there's a there's so many temples and castles. It's just, and all their own cost, all their own, everything. I so think I, I love that for people in leadership to think about having uh, your friends that you're working with be able to express and create an environment where they can actually thrive. That really struck it. So you're doing uh, Cars now, yeah. and is that, do each of these movies create a lot of stress? is you're taking action, you have a, a beautiful ambition, but it doesn't come without a lot of stress in putting together something huge that's gonna be worldwide. Yeah, every movie is super, super, super stressful because um, what's interesting about every movie is every, you know, a lot of people have said, how can you keep you know, doing this, aren't you bored? And uh, doing the same thing over and over again, but it's just so not boring because every story is so unique. So it's like surfing down a different wave every time because you have to, no, it's a new wave. Now you're reacting to a whole new storyline and plot line and mitigating circumstances. You have to, you know, a lot of plates are going all at once and trying to figure it all out. And generally speaking, the future of the company is on each film. Is that crazy? A lot of pressure. Yet you stay really positive in that. I know you, you have a really focused direct side. We were talking just before we started about how, um, people that uh, can tap into a lot of joy and enthusiasm, oftentimes right underneath that is a ton of strategy. You know why you're doing what you're doing. And I would say that the hallmark of our friendship is you've always been a woman that knew why you were doing what you're doing, that there was a purpose behind it. And um, so how have you kept the stress in check? Like you've got, a, I don't know how many hundreds of millions of dollars are involved, but like you've got a lot writing on this thing and how do you keep your accessing your joy 
Well, you know, it's hard. You know, I really struggled with it, honestly, if I'm being real. It was really difficult. And I, if I could go back in time, I would have Darla, you know, the producer of Cars and all those films, do a lot more exercise and on a, on a regular basis because somebody with my personality type would just like go get them and big. That would have been good. But I did, I do live in the beautiful Bay Area. So every weekend, uh, my thing is the beach. You know, I just, it just lowers my stress to go out on the water, if any kind of water, or walk on the beach. So most weekends that I'm not working, I would, you could find me walking on some local beach around here. While you were doing Cars, uh, wasn't Pixar doing another film, Finding Nemo? And tell me if this is true or not. Are you Darla, the Dennis Rotten daughter? (laughs) For anybody listening, if you didn't know who Darla was, this is Darla. (laughs) Now, wasn't that a backstory? Wasn't there kind of like you were gigging each other? Uh, Yeah. Andrew Stanton, the director of Finding Nemo, and I always did practical jokes on each other. I did a huge practical joke on him. What was it? What was yours? Well, it involved the Today Show. Every morning back then, he watched the Today Show, and um, re- you know, religiously with his family. He, you know, he's a very structured human. and so we all knew that he was be watching the today show and uh so we were out there casting and he's a really good writer so he was back writing on this was a i think towards the end of a bug's life so um so we went to you know how the today show tapes outside we brought all these andrew stanton um headshots and put them on the end of sticks (laughs) <laughs> and everywhere the camera was, like anywhere Al Roker was, we stuck Andrew's head in. And, yes, and awesome. you know during the Broadway. I mean, we were there for the whole three hours or two and a half, whatever it was back then. We put it above the screen. Andrew's head was everywhere. And so then we called him and said, "Hey, Andrew, um, we think you might be on the Today Show today." Or you know, like we made it. Go see if you can see us. Yes. See us. So then his little son Ben, who's now you know, living in New York and an actor, but he was a little four-year-old then, said, they're watching, eating their cereal. And he's like, daddy, I see you on TV. And there you are. And there you are. And And he's got, this was the payback was naming that character Darla. Yeah, we, there was ongoing back and forth, back and forth with Andrew and I. And then um, the interesting thing about, and then I wasn't going to let them do it. And then Brad Bird, director of Incredibles, talked him into it. Oh, fine, fine. The cool thing about um, Darla and Finding Nemo is she's played by a little girl actress then, she's probably adult now, that named Lulu. And Lulu is the name of one of my sisters. Oh, kind of the synchronicity. And- oh, well, the um, uh, tell us what, what did you do next after Cars? Uh, I think you weren't done. Um, after Cars, I did oh, I did Toy Story 3. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm just worn out. I've pretty much you've just gone down the list of all the DVDs on everybody's <laughs> shelf. Was that, were you getting worn out at the time? Because you've done now several, what, four or five uh, huge Pixar movies. Uh, you've been to the Academy Awards a number of times. You're like, are you ready to land the plane? Or do you have tons of energy when you walked into Toy Story 3? Toy Story 3, I, I actually had energy for that because I I didn't get to be on Toy Story. So this kind of felt like a full circle thing. Even yes. though I have a, you know my credit on Toy Story? No, tell me. Digital Angel. 
And I just really, really wanted to have a credit on the first ever animated film. And my team got it done. I really did very little on it. Although strategically, I made it so that my commercials team didn't have anything to do the summer that Toy Story was finishing because I knew they'd need help. And yeah. so then my whole team, which is about 20, 25 people at that time, jumped in and did it. I oh. personally didn't do that much except to strategically make them available. So I went and begged for a credit. Yes. At the time said, well, you didn't technically officially do anything, so come up with something. So out of our nickname, uh, Angel of Light, I said, how about Digital Angel? Because I, you know, yeah. provided help. So that that's, I just love that that's my credit on that first ever uh, animated film. You have always been just pure joy. I just remember from um, college days to you stood with us at our wedding. Um, like each of these important, I just turned 60 and uh, you've got a few things on your plate. And all the, I walk into a room and you among friends are there um well for those listening that have read everybody always in story of a little boy that got abducted in uganda by witch doctor and some horrible things happened when uh he uh, uh was it was time for to bring him back for the surgery do you know who came with me it was darla she would be the first person to take uh, what was actually a really courageous move to go to Uganda at a uh, hundred different levels and to get this little boy. And then the one standing in the Oval Office with Charlie uh, is sweet Maria and Charlie and me and Darla. And uh, you have impacted my life and so many lives in such beautiful ways. Um, tell us what you're doing next. What is it that is uh, on your plate now? Cause you've left Pixar and so what did you do next at Pixar? You did one last film. Um, I did, after Toy Story 3, which was a dream job, then I did, uh, I produced Coco, which was the next dream thing to do, which remember we used to spend so much time going down to Mexico. Oh yeah. And so I've just always loved Mexico and everything about it and the people. And I remember on our, uh, when we were going to Uganda together to get Charlie, um, we, uh, you were just coming or just going to scout the next storyline. And even though we're really good friends, when Toy Story 3 was happening, I said, can you tell me? You're like, absolutely not, but you are going to cry. And you made good on that. I cried like a baby. And you were actually scouting Coco. Was, I don't know if that was right before or after we went, but. Right before, yeah. Yeah. yeah I went from Mexico to Uganda. Yeah. So uh, tell us about Coco. How was your energy holding up? Because now you've been at this for many years, but you bring a ton of joy. This idea of taking action, you bring enthusiasm to what you have. Did you, you obviously had another film in you because it was a huge hit. Well, Coco, yeah. And Coco was, I mean, that's the, the penultimate of um, art can help change the world because in terms of um, doing a film that honors the, the a whole country and um, honors their beautiful cultural traditions was um, just a labor of complete and utter love, and uh, and so and and was so rewarding that so many people felt so um, uh, connected to it on so many levels, both on the in the level of uh, dealing with death and that there's hope after death and connectivity after death. And then, then 
enormously that um, while, you know, our country is building walls, the cocoa felt like it was building bridges. So, yeah, I can't help but see the um, the connection back to you as a 14 year old girl who's just lost uh, so much uh, and has a bright hope that you have this. And it's almost like Coco just captured a lot of that, like did, looking yeah. towards the horizon. Did that did that uh, occur to you at the time? Or you just think, was that healing at all for you? Um, yes, and uh, some, yes. And, uh, you know, you try to be on films with things that you just love because it's so much, they take so long, they're so hard to do. And so there's so many levels of that film. And, and what's interesting about a lot of, a lot of films, a lot of art is somehow when you make them so deeply personal um, or specific or culturally specific, there's some weird magic that then makes it extraordinarily universal, which tells you that we're all so much more alike than we are different on most important levels, which is something you talk about all the time and everything that you say. Yeah. The, the uh, uh, ability to change, though, to move from doing what you'd been doing for how long was your run at Pixar? 25 years. Exactly so, 25 years. So on to the date. And so Coco was your last major project there. Was that right? And then can you just give us uh, uh, a current update on what you're doing now? What are you dreaming about? Um, so I'm going off to, well, I just started at Netflix. I started officially on March 1. Um and so it's not been very long. It's only been about a month or so that I've been there. Yeah. And yeah. So I just want to, you know, I'm, I'm full of uh, hope and uh, excitement that I can keep kind of doing things that I've been doing. It's kind of an extension of what I've been doing already. I want to make more films kind of like, well, kind of like everything I've done. <laughs> yeah. Like, a, but not like, necessarily the, like it doesn't have to be animation. It can be live action or. Yeah, it, but then, I'd love to do some more animation, but it seems like the the chord remains the same. Though you want to make movies that change people's lives, that impact the world. Uh, yeah, and and to uh, you know, like again, well, both all of the films. You know, if you're doing art, uh, and it is a you are serving this larger voice when you're making art. That, that is, you you're trying to get out of the way of it. You're the conduit to tell the story, and you're shaping and guiding it, but. It also, you know, can be extraordinarily healing for people to go, to go see a film together. As and I love the I love the family film market. It's uh, because I just love that it's not. You know, we don't make films. I don't make films for children. I make films for everybody. And my hope is that everybody comes to see them together, um, because there's a, such a wonderful communal uh, feeling about watching. Uh, and I want people to get lost, lost in the story together as a, as a family or chosen family or group. Yes. So I think that can be very healing. And I'm just like uh, reflecting back as we kind of wrap this up about how you started without that kind of family. Like you didn't have that support system. You had a whole bunch of things that would kind of uh, mitigate in the opposite direction. And so as you're taking action on your ambition, you just said, you know what, I can actually do something. I'm going to create something beautiful, like the life that would have been beautiful to have led as a younger person. I can actually create that experience for people. I love that about you. I pretty much actually love everything about you, Darla. I just want you to know what a privilege it's been 
to do life for as many decades as it's been. And you are a voice I've always, always trusted because I see what you do in people's life. And you are strong and courageous, deeply kind. You're compassionate, uh, incredibly sensitive, but so strong. Like you have the ability to feel things deeply, but you're just a strong, capable woman. I love that about you. Well, thank you. And I want you to know, you can put this in your podcast or not, but um, you have always reached out to me all these years and I would get a text on my birthday or whatever. Or just you've been um, a constant in a world where I've had very few constants. And, and it's been just a, a, just a positive, um, I don't know, I've just, I'm so, there's a few people in my life, a small group of people in my life who have, we've probably not, what, 40 years, I'd say. Um, unbelievable. Yeah, which is years awesome. Now, right, yeah. So you've been this amazing constant for me, and you've, you've reached out to me in a world where I've been abandoned so much in my uh, formative years, not necessarily in my adult years. You've just always been there. So I'm just so grateful for that. And I just can't use one of those you're like chosen family. I feel like your family. Yeah. So. Bingo. Same here. So, and if you're listening in and some of these things that resonate uh, with you, you've heard, you've experienced some pain or loss, you have a beautiful ambition, or you felt like you've been to that place in between, find a friend or two, like just be authentic, lead with love. Just say, man, I'm actually hurting today. I'm actually feeling a little insecure, whatever it is, and develop those kinds of friendships and then celebrate them. Darla, thank you. I love you, girl. Have a great day. Thank you. Love you, too. Bye. Okay, so clearly Darla is not someone who waits for permission, but she also has this patient, humble side to who she is. She does. This woman has got more going on, yet she makes time. And the people that seem to make time for others, that's one attribute of people that get a lot done. Mm -hmm. It's not a lost on me. The first thing God made, time. (laughs) The last time, last thing we make sometime is time. And uh, to approach uh, the the life that she's lived with a humble attitude. One of the things about Darla too is she's living in constant anticipation. Mm -hmm. And I hope that you'll do that if you're listening. Uh, You don't wanna be Darla and you don't wanna be somebody else. You wanna be you. And to yeah. say, who is it that God made me to be? What is it that I want to uh, accomplish in my life? And what are the next steps? Not all the steps, because you might get a no, an inexplicable no. But don't just settle for that. But in a, a word of the wise, don't settle for every yes you get. Yeah. Just because yeah. it's a yes, it doesn't mean you need to walk through the door. But if you have clarity about why you're doing what you're doing, you'll know the next steps. And if you want some more clarity, get some counsel from some, some friends. Well, that's so, a that's a great point, because sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between a setback that tells you to be patient versus one that says, nope, you're in the wrong direction, buddy. Yeah. What if you got the first time somebody said no? Yeah. Well, actually, it was her name was Maria. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the second time. And, and the, the second time. Yeah. No, no. But I knew what I wanted. I didn't want to do a creep version of that uh, but to say persistent we go like well you're the one for me and uh, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. eventually i think she yielded um but there's something beautiful about having clarity about what you want because mm-hmm. then it gives context to all the communications you get if it's a no i still have clarity about what i want and say i'm just going to find another way to get there well yeah it's not just about frenetic activity the idea of taking action it's not just being busy for the sake of being busy 
it's this idea that you have your sights set on what's important to you and you keep going. One of the things that's the head fake sometimes is we hear other people's story and they collapse down into, you know, a minute and a half yes. of I yep. had a, a setback, but now yada, I've yada, got yada. the Academy then, Award. Yeah, right. um, when in my life and in your life, it doesn't happen mm. that way. You know, the word suddenly appears 87 times in the scriptures. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing in my life has happened suddenly. Yeah. <laughs> right. I've got a couple pulled over for speeding. That happened suddenly. But other than that, yeah. like uh, things are going to take a while. And so don't be head faked by hearing uh, uh, the uh, difficulties and the challenges, how they were overcome, and then the roles, the credits, yep. that everybody's yep. great, that actually these things won't happen suddenly. It's going to take some time. Mm. You've got an ambition. You've had it for years. Go after it. You'll yeah. get a couple no's along the way. Yeah. Stay after it. Well, there's a, there's a book title that always sticks out to me, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, that that's what it's all about. Keep going in the same direction. Keep taking action. This month, we have a giveaway for you. It's called A Handbook for Becoming an Action Figure. It's the idea of in 21 days, you can create habits of becoming somebody that gets stuff done. So go to the show notes, download that handbook. And Bob, what are some last words you have for us in terms of taking action? Boy, stop getting ready. I think there's a lot of people who are spending oh, times great. like getting ready. That's I'm great. getting ready. I'm getting ready. Man, get out on the ice. Take the dive, whatever it is, move from getting ready yeah. to like being ready. Because <laughs> there's a lot of people that are stuck getting ready. I'm like, people, you're ready enough. You're ready. Let's go build the plane while we're yeah. flying it. But you got the wings on this thing. Let's go. Like, yeah. And then don't be uh, turned away by a couple setbacks. You know the direction you're headed. Yeah. You're reminded about why you're doing what you're doing. Take the next step. Well, if you're listening to that, this word is for you. Get ready, get up, and go.